Amen. Well, good morning. Uh, if we haven't had the chance or pleasure of meeting yet, my name is Adam, one of the pastors here, and excited that you're here to join us for worship this morning and as we continue our series uh, on Advent, on the coming or the arrival of Jesus. Now, we live in divided times. I think that's a pretty safe statement that most of us would not be divided about. Um, you know, uh, today, in today's day and age, uh, people love to argue and banter about serious things and trivial things. If you don't like what someone has to say, you don't need to engage them in respectful and honest dialogue. You can just spew hatred from a keyboard or block them. And there's all kinds of things that we divide and debate over. Uh, just what's taking place in Israel and Palestine over the last uh, month and a half, two months, is a great example. Uh, next year, 2024, is it an election year? Uh, if you're trying to decide what your New Year's resolution is going to be this year, maybe a great idea would be to take a 12-month break from social media. It will probably do your mind and heart some good. Uh, in 2024, uh, regardless of what you think about all of it, it's going to be quite divisive. But then there are things that actually matter that we divide over, like which direction the toilet paper should go on the roll. Some of you feel that just by your response. You're like, yeah, yeah, I know, I know. Can we just put this to rest, though? Because the only right way to do it is the waterfall method where it comes over the top. Can I get an amen? amen. Thank you. Uh, I just can't respect a guy who gets his toilet paper by going like this. I just, it's not right. Just saying. The real question though, I think is, not is there division, is there going to be division, but are we dividing over the right things? So in this series uh, that we've titled Advent, Why He Came, we're doing just that. We're talking about why Jesus came, and for our focus, we're actually using Jesus' own words. Multiple times throughout his life and his ministry and his gospel, he tells us why he came. And today might be a little surprising, something that you're not expecting, but let's look together in Matthew chapter 10. Now you can follow along in the Bible app. If you have your Bible, you're welcome to use that. If there is one underneath your seat or the one in front of you, you can use that. We're going to be in the gospel of Matthew all day today. We'll jump to different places, but we're just going to stay in the gospel of Matthew today. And we're going to start in chapter 10 and in verse... 34. And here's what Jesus has to say. Matthew chapter 10, let's just start with verse 34. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. Now that was unexpected. That's not often what we would expect Jesus to say when we talk about why he came. It might even be a little offensive to hear those words from Jesus. The late Tim Keller once wrote this, to stay away from Christianity 
because part of the Bible is offensive, assumes that if there is a God, he wouldn't have any views that upset you. If Christianity is really true, he would say later, it will be offending and correcting to you somewhere. And so the question we have to ask ourselves is, do we want truth? Or would we rather be amused or entertained or maybe even at times coddled? Are we willing to embrace hard things if they're true? Are we willing to wrestle with things that may be difficult? Are we willing to embrace something difficult if it means it's true? And so for just a little bit, I want to dive deeper into Jesus' words here. What does he mean? I have not come to bring peace on earth but a sword. So let's look on what he says, continuing. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Now, there's a principle in biblical interpretation, a phrase that we often like to use, that Scripture interprets Scripture. And by that, we mean that we take simple passages and use them to help us understand complex passages. We take what's clear in Scripture to help us understand what may be cloudy. We take what's explicit so that it helps us understand some of the things that are more implicit. So when we read about history's most compassionate person calling for division amongst people within their own household, when we read about the Prince of Peace, as he's called in the Old Testament, who came and at his birth announcement from the angels pronounced peace on earth, when we read about this person who says they have not come to bring peace but a sword, before we jump to any immediate interpretations, I think it would be helpful to look at some of the other things that Jesus said, that we can put this within, into context and get really to what it is that Jesus is trying to say to us today. So let's just look at some of the things that Jesus has said in other places. We could go to Matthew chapter 5. So if you're in Matthew chapter 10 in your Bible, it's easy just to go to the left a few pages. If you're in the Bible app, it's already laid out for you. In what would be probably Jesus' most famous sermon that he ever preached, we often call it the Sermon on the Mount, he says things like this in Matthew 5, 21 and the first part of 22. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Just a few verses later, reflecting on this very idea, Jesus gives us further instructions on what to do about this animosity between people. He says in verse 23, So if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there 
before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Just later on in this same chapter, same sermon, Jesus says in verse 38, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And then again, same sermon, same chapter, a few verses later, he says, You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. So if we reflect for just a moment on some of the things that Jesus just taught in that sermon, is that not only can you not bring harm to someone physically, you can't even wish that harm in your mind or your heart. If you've hurt or offended someone, God says, don't come worshiping to me. First, go to them. Make it right with them. Make whatever apologies you need to make. Make whatever repentance you need to make. After you go to them, then you can come to me. Not only should you seek, should you not seek equal retaliation against someone who's hurt you, but you should be willing to turn the other cheek. And what Paul, I mean, excuse me, what Jesus is not necessarily calling for is passive, passive, yeah, you know what I'm trying to say. He's not necessarily promoting a path, yep, I'm not going to say it again. Uh, Mindset. What he says actually is if they slap you on the right cheek. And so what Jesus is most likely referring to is not physical harm, but shame. And so in a culture that valued doing things and interacting with people with your right hand, when that was important, to slap someone on the right cheek doesn't mean that you slapped them with an open hand like this, but that you backhanded them if you slapped them on the right cheek. So it was less about physical harm and more about shame. And he says, if someone's willing to shame you or harm you, you don't retaliate. It's not about defending yourself because you don't place yourself above others. And then he says, not only should you love your friends, but you should even love your enemies and seek their welfare. So if we take Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 10, uh, just for what we see there, even if Jesus is promoting that those within our own household are going to become our enemies, that he came to make enemies of those that we're related to, at the very least, he's saying that we should love them because we love our enemies and we seek their welfare and we place others above ourselves, even those who would want to harm us or shame us. That... Not only do we not bring direct harm to other people, we don't even think about it. We don't even store up those feelings in our heart. And then if we have offended this enemy in our own household, before we come to worship God, we first go to them to repent and apologize and make it right. So even if Jesus was saying, the, perp- the reason I came is to make enemies within your own household, At the very least, 
He's calling us to treat those, quote, enemies in our household better than our culture teaches us to treat our families. But I think, I think sometimes we're missing the point here. I think we're focusing on the wrong part. I think the last few verses are the great key to what he's trying to communicate. Verses 38 and 39. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. I think this is the greatest point that Jesus is trying to make. Division and enemies is not his purpose. Rather, it's the consequences of his coming. His real purpose is in these last two verses. Jesus is asking for and calling for and demanding our allegiance. That word, allegiance, it starts with three pretty important letters. A-L-L. Jesus is calling for all. Jesus is meant to be our everything. He's first, not second. When we make Jesus first over all others, mother, father, son, daughter, husband, wife, family member, friend, when we make Jesus supreme, it makes everyone else second. And not everyone is okay with being second. Jesus demands total allegiance. Jesus says something very similar later in the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 16 along this same idea. In Matthew 16, he says this. Then Jesus told his disciples in verse 24, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? Here might be the most offensive thing that Jesus says. If you really want to follow Jesus... You can't just stop at putting everyone and everything in your life second. That sounds like a lot, but let's be honest. For most people, it's actually not that hard to put others second in your life. It's not that hard to put other things second in your life. Most of us do that every day. Because we put ourselves first. And therefore, everyone else is second in our life. And what Jesus calls us to do is to even put ourselves second. That even over and above ourselves, Jesus comes first. Jesus says that he, he came to even get in the way of putting ourselves number one. That we must take up our cross that we must lose our life. Jesus demands so much allegiance that he even comes before you in your own life. 
He demands it all. That we take up our cross, that we give up our life, that in order to find true life, we must lay down this life. And so, in many ways, Jesus came to bring division and the sword even within you. To tear down what we naturally want to put up on the altar of our lives. Because it's in losing our life for his sake that we find real life, a life that actually matters. There's a pastor named John Piper. He's wrote a lot of books. Some of you may be familiar with him and his books. Uh, A little over 20 years ago, he preached a sermon at this big national conference for young adults. It's been labeled... Uh, a sermon that changed a generation. And uh, it later prompted him to write a book uh, in light of the content of that sermon. And in this sermon, he tells this story of two older women that he knew in their 70s or 80s who had decided to spend their twilight years uh, doing medical missions in Cameroon. And when they arrived there, as they were traveling, uh, the brakes went out on their vehicle, and they careened uh, over a cliff and perished. And uh, in his sermon, Piper asks, is this a tragedy? And then he responds by saying, I'll tell you what a tragedy is. And at the same time, he had gotten the news about these two older women who had died in Cameroon shortly after arriving, he had read a story in Reader's Digest about a couple who had retired and moved to the beach to spend their remaining years collecting seashells on the shore. And in the sermon, he says, this this is the real tragedy. That we would use our lives for no real purpose at all. That we would waste our lives chasing after something that actually didn't matter. He'd later write a book called Don't Waste Your Life. Now listen, the beach is cool. Nothing wrong with the beach. We should enjoy God's creation, whether it's the mountains or the beach. God has demanded that all of us take time out to rest. And there's nothing sinful about picking up seashells. The point is, will we spend our lives pursuing ease and comfort? Or will we spend our lives chasing after something that matters? Not all of us are called to go to Africa. That's not the point. The point is that we give our lives to something that matters. And when we choose to give our lives to something that matters, it will separate us from those who don't want to. It will create division naturally. When we say, I'm all in for Jesus. He gets my total allegiance and loyalty. He gets everything in my life. I will die to this life and whatever 
is easy and comfortable to pursue whatever he has for us and for me. Will we pursue something that really matters? And one of the greatest ways that we make that declaration of I'm all in, he has my everything, is through baptism. Baptism is that way that we publicly declare all my allegiance is to Jesus. Where we declare, I have died. I have taken up that cross. I have lost my life. And everything about me has been buried. It's what we represent when the person getting baptized goes under the water. And we proclaim when that person is raised to new life up out of the water that, that they died to their old self and they're being resurrected into new life. And in that new resurrected life, Jesus reigns supreme. He is above all other things. He is above everyone else, including ourself. In many parts of the world, it is baptism that will get you persecuted. It is baptism that will get you ostracized, and it is baptism that will get you killed, especially in Muslim countries. In Muslim countries, uh, someone can get caught reading the Bible. You can, you can be caught hanging out with Christian friends. You can even be caught going to a Christian worship gathering. Even if you proclaim to be a follower of Jesus in most places, it'll be okay. But in Muslim countries, when you get baptized, that's when the real persecution comes. Because it's at, baptize, at baptism, you can no longer deny what's really taking place. You can't explain it away as, I'm just reading the Bible for information. I'm just hanging out with these friends because they're nice. I was just going to this gathering to check it out. At baptism, you've declared where your real allegiances lie. And it's at baptism in most places in this world that you will face the most severe persecution. It's where the division really comes in most places. Because Jesus, in many ways, is a sword. Because when you declare him all, you cut off everything else in your life. Because nothing compares to him. This morning, we have the opportunity to celebrate baptism with an individual. We'll give you instructions on how we're going to do that in a little bit. But you may be sitting here today recognizing that your next step is a public de declaration of your faith. That you've believed in Jesus in your heart. You've confessed him as Lord. You've asked forgive forgiveness of your sins. You believe he died on the cross and rose victoriously from the grave, but you've never made that public declaration through baptism. You've never said publicly, I'll cut everything else off because Jesus and Jesus alone deserves and is worthy of and has purchased my allegiances, my loyalties, my worship, my everything. And so if baptism is your next step, 
that's something we can take care of. You could come back tonight at our 6.30 evening service and we'll baptize you tonight. Maybe you want to wait until next week where you can invite some family and friends. We'll baptize you next week. Dustin and I will fill that hot tub every single weekend if it means that every weekend people are coming forward to declare their allegiances to Jesus. But that might be your next step. It might be time for you to make that public declaration that says, I'm all in. That I forsake everything else. That everything and everyone in my life comes second to the one who has purchased with his blood and his life my allegiances and my loyalties. That he is first. So the question is, does Jesus have your all? Does he have all of your loyalties? All of your worship? Are you willing to forsake all for him and him alone? Because when Jesus came to this earth, he came to demand all. Let's pray. Jesus, we just acknowledge that you came not to just bring peace and make life easy, but that you came to give all and demand all. You gave everything. You gave up your rightful place in heaven to come to earth. You gave up all your rights to glory and honor to be, to be born in the most humble of places and ways. You gave up your life for us so that as we give up our lives, we can find true life in you. So Lord, that's what we're here to do today. We give you our all. Everything pales in comparison to you. All our hearts, all our lives, all of our loyalties, all of our worship, all of our allegiance, all. We give you all. I'm going to ask you to keep your eyes closed for a minute. We're going to enter into a time of response. A chance for us to publicly declare that he has our all. When we sing together in unison. About how just how sweet it is to trust in Jesus. To give him everything. And as we worship and respond to that reality this morning, we invite you to the table where we take of the cup and the bread to represent that Jesus gave all. His body was broken like that broken bread. His blood poured out, represented in the cup, the new covenant in his blood. And we, we take it to proclaim he gave all and as a way to worship and declare to him we, in return, give all. So let us respond to him now. Lord, thank you. Would you be honored by the way in which we respond to you this morning? that our response would be worthy of what you demand 
and what you deserve. We love you and pray this in your name.